0: Section 1 of Social Life in England 1750 to 1850 This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by Pamela Nagami MD Social Life in England 1750 to 1850 by F J Folks Jackson Lecture 1 life in the eighteenth century illustrated by the career of john wesley in order to depict social life in england in the eighteenth century i am going to take the career of one of its most remarkable men though you may be surprised at the choice i have made for the eighteenth century was an eminently social age and the stage is crowded with figures of men and women of the world Their letters, their talk, their scandals, their amusements, have come down to us in profusion, and it is not difficult for us to imagine ourselves in their midst. You may well ask me why I did not select a really brilliant character to expound the life of this time. I might, for example, have taken Lord Chesterfield, or Horace Walpole, or Boswell, that most observant of men, or the great character whom he immortalized, or I might have selected others less known, but equally interesting, rather than a revivalist preacher like John Wesley. I had written thus far when I came across the following words by the British man of letters, Mr. Burrell. How much easier to weave into your page the gossip of Horace Walpole, to enliven it with the heartless jest of George Selwyn, to make it blush with the sad stories of the extravagance of Fox to embroider it with the rhetoric of Burke, to humanize it with the talk of Johnson, to discuss the rise and fall of administrations, the growth and decay of the Constitution, than to follow John Wesley into the streets of Bristol, or to the bleak moors near Burslem, when he met face to face, and all their violence, all their ignorance, and all their generosity, the living men, women, and children who made up the nation... But I think I could give another reason why John Wesley is a fit person to represent the social life of his century. Namely, that though he may undoubtedly be classed among the saints, though he was one of the most unworldly of men, though he took what must seem to most of us an unnecessarily serious view of life, he fell short of hardly any of the great men enumerated in shrewd observation and even in what in the language of his time would have been termed wit. Nay, Wesley possessed a caustic humor which many a worldly wit might have envied. Certainly, he writes in Scotland, this is a nation quick to hear and slow to speak, though certainly not slow to wrath. You cannot be too superficial in addressing a polite audience, is an aphorism of his which I remember. I know mankind too well. I know they that love you for political service love you less than their dinner, and they that hate you hate you worse than the devil. Here is a criticism of a tapestry in Dublin. In Jacob's vision, you see on the one side a little paltry ladder and an angel climbing up it in the attitude of a chimney sweeper, and on the other side, Jacob staring at him under a silver laced hat. The criticisms of books, for he was an omnivorous reader especially on a journey. History, poetry, and philosophy I commonly read on horseback, having other employment at other times, are not always fair, but nearly always shrewd, and often as bitter as anything Johnson himself could have uttered. I read with much expectation a celebrated book, Rousseau, on education. But how was I disappointed? Sure, a more consummate coxcomb never saw the sun. I object to his temper even more than to his judgment. He is a mere misanthrope, a cynic all over. So indeed is his brother infidel Voltaire, and well nigh as great a coxcomb, but he hides his doggedness and vanity a little better, whereas here it stares us in the face continually. Here is his opinion of a very famous book, Tuesday, February 11th, 1772. I casually took a volume of what is called a sentimental journey through France and Italy. Sentimental? What is that? It is not English. He might as well say continental. It is not sense. It conveys no determinate idea, yet one fool makes many, and this nonsensical word, who would believe it, is become a fashionable one however the book agrees full well with the title for one is as queer as the other for oddity uncouthness and unlikeness to all the world beside i suppose the writer is without a rival a book wrote with as much learning and as little judgment as any i remember to have read in my whole life he says of cave's primitive christianity despite the fact therefore that john wesley was devoted to the work of missionary preaching that he was an ecstatic visionary, and in many respects the most credulous as well as the most zealous of evangelists, his knowledge of men in critical power was not a little remarkable. I'm not at all sure that sinners are not the right people to write about saints. Saints may be, because sanctity implies something attractive which is almost unthinkable, without the sympathy which nearly always reveals itself in a certain playfulness but good deserving people are assuredly not qualified to be the biographers of saints for in their desire to exalt their hero they generally strip him of all the qualities for which men loved him and no one was ever loved for his perfections alone and present him as their own ideal of what a saint should be john wesley is an example of this and he would appear in a far more amiable light in pages written by a kindly man of the world than in a book by a devoted admirer and would-be imitator of his virtues it was after all boswell's many failings which contributed to give us so delightful a portrait as that of his great and good friend samuel johnson now john wesley was an undoubted saint and the good he did in england and his society in america for that matter is incalculable but i ask his admirers and any who profess to follow him to forgive me for using him as a peg on which to hang a few remarks on social england before however i do so may i introduce him and some of his family to you it is rare indeed to find in any family so much genius transmitted from father to son for more than two centuries as there was in that of the wesleys here are six generations one, bartholomew studied physic at the university and when ejected for puritanism in sixteen sixty two from the living of allington in dorsetshire he practised as a doctor two his son john was an ardent puritan imprisoned on no less than four occasions. He died at an early age and was distinguished when at New Inn Hall at Oxford for his proficiency in Oriental studies. 3. Samuel, rector of Epwith, a scholar of some repute and father of the famous Wesleys. 4. Charles, the poet of Methodism. 5. Samuel, the musician, one of the pioneers of modern organ-playing. 6 samuel sebastian the celebrated composer organist in gloucester cathedral who died in eighteen seventy five talent not without eccentricity seemed the natural gift of this remarkable family to which was added beauty in the females and distinction of appearance in the male members samuel the third on our list was naturally a puritan by upbringing but he became a churchman by conviction he obtained the rectory of Epwith in the Isle of Axholme in Lincolnshire, and the chaplaincy of a regiment. This, however, he lost. His dissenting enemies stopped his getting any further preferment, save the living of Root, near to Epwith. He married the daughter of an ejected minister, Susanna Annesley, who was herself connected with the noble family of that name. She had no less than nineteen children, but few of these survived. Among them, the three famous brothers, Samuel, John, and Charles. The girls, had they had their brother's advantages and education, might have been almost equally distinguished. As it was, however, Samuel had enough to do to give his sons an education worthy of their abilities. The eldest son, Samuel, was a scholar of Westminster and a student of Christ Church, a friend of Bishop Atterbury, and a sound scholar. Owing to his Toryism, he was never more than an usher, undermaster at Westminster, and master of Tiverton School, and he continued to hold the principles of a high churchman to the last. He was an excellent and affectionate brother, ready to help John and Charles in their education, but from the first he recognized the tendencies of Methodism to be schismatical, and in a letter to his mother just before his death he pointed out the danger of his brother's teaching, because he was not in sympathy with the movement he has been condemned as worldly as dull as without genius but a sentence in this letter reveals something of the incisiveness of john as i told jack he writes i am not afraid that the church should excommunicate him discipline is at too low an ebb but that he should excommunicate the church John went to school at the Charterhouse, thence to Christ Church, Oxford, and to a fellowship at Lincoln College. Charles followed in the footsteps of Samuel and became a student of Christ Church. Academic distinction was the lot of all the sons of the rector of Epworth. The home of the family was amid the fens of Lincolnshire, and the fenland had still many of its peculiar characteristics during the childhood and youth of the Wesleys. The Isle of Axholm. Had been but recently literally an island, rising out of the swamps, and often approached only by boat. These islands were inhabited by a wild, uncouth race who lived partly as farmers, and partly by capturing the fish and birds which swarmed in the surrounding fens. Here lived John Wesley and his family. By birth, they were emphatically gentlefolk, by education, highly cultivated. They were miserably poor severed from the society of their equals among a people with whom they could have but little sympathy all of a deeply religious spirit the father a pious and conscientious but disappointed scholar the mother sternly determined to do her duty the sons endowed with singular gifts of leadership the daughters sensitive and refined condemned to live as peasant girls a family so able so thrown on its own resources so out of contact with the world of so imperious a spirit was almost bound to develop on exceptional lines their virtues and their strength were as abnormal as their weakness their singularly active minds were equally capable of the greatest deeds and the most surprising mistakes all the girls were unfortunate in the choice of their partners and had sad lives John. The most gifted of all this gifted household was able to transform england by his preaching yet made the most astonishing blunders in the conduct of his private life though showing a talent for administration worthy of his celebrated namesake arthur wesley or wellesley duke of wellington in studying the movement we must always keep epwith in the background but there was another side of the life of the sons of the rector Samuel's friend, Atterbury, the Tory Bishop of Rochester, is one of the most remarkable figures of his age. John and Charles at Oxford were poor enough, but found a welcome in society congenial to them. Their birth and manners gave them access to a coterie of religious yet cultured circles, especially at Stanton in Gloucestershire, and they always comported themselves with a consciousness of a perfectly secure position in society neither of them was in the slightest degree dazzled by rank, wealth, or worldly position. When Count Zinzendorf, the great German noble and the patron of the Moravians, spoke with the authority of a pious prince to John, he was answered in a spirit as uncompromising as his own. Selina, the famous and pious countess of Huntingdon, the elect lady of evangelical preachers, might patronize Whitefield but could not take a high tone with the Wesleys. Indeed, the aristocracy who preferred the treasure of the gospel to be contained in clergy, who might be described as earthen vessels, disliked the Wesleys, whose greatest successes were obtained among the middle class. Nonetheless, their influence was in a measure due to the social advantages which they had enjoyed when Oxford students. We, however, have to do with John Wesley, as illustrating the England of his day, and we may well begin to use him for our purposes as a traveller. He had been one the greater part of his life, but a good starting point for us will be after his visit to Germany in 1738, immediately after the time from which he dates his conversion. From that day, almost till his death in 1791, John Wesley was almost continually on the road, preaching from town to town, wherever he could get a hearing. End of section 1